The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. This week's episode of the Fujicast sees a slight departure from the normal format as the show comes out of the studio to visit Brighton in the UK, a seaside town on the south coast in East Sussex for anyone not au fait with the geography of these isles. Teeny bit of history of the place, it's about 50 miles south of London, dates back to the Bronze Age as a settlement, and much later in Victorian times became a fashionable holiday hub with pleasure piers and the kinds of hotels that still to this day serve orange juice on the menu as a breakfast starter. It has its own nod to the Taj Mahal by way of the Brighton Pavilion, just a street or two back from the seafront, built on the command of George IV, following advice from his doc that Brighton's sea air would be good for his gout, making him the first of two such celebrities to have been offered that advice, the second, of course, being our very own Kevin Mullin some 200 years later. The pavilion became a secret meeting place for the king, where he shared and later, not so secretly, married his mistress, Maria Fitzherbert, away from the prying concerns of the Roman Catholic Church. You can still get married at the pavilion, but these days with full permission in the eyes of the law, and in March 2014 the venue became one of the first to host a same-sex marriage, fitting as the town is now considered to support the UK's largest LGBT community, making for a pretty good social scene and vibrant nightlife. It's not all peace and love, though, as Brighton is infamous for the mods and rocker clashes when life was only in black and white. The mods wearing their sharp suits, button-down shirts and parka jackets clash with the leather-clad rockers on the beach between the town's two main piers in fights about the size of their motorbikes, I think. The mods favouring Italian-styled scooters and rockers liking a few more cc's and classic oily Triumph bikes, which at the time you could buy for 20 quid. These days you get two plates of fish and chips for the same cash, but advisedly hide it from plain view of the gulls, who famously mug unsuspecting tourists in daring raids from above, making for interesting street photographs. Which neatly segues with this, the Fujicast's listener meetup in Brighton, 2019. A chance to meet up with like-minded photographers, record an episode of the show on Brighton's famous Palace Pier in the iconic Palm Court restaurant halfway out into the bay, and talk to three special show guests. Friend of the show, Sean Tucker, whose rising YouTube popularity saw him bring his own crew down to the town for the meet-up too, though with rather less requirement to police the event like they did in Mods and Rockers days. No need to hold back Fujifilm and Sony shooters from one another, we all love each other. Really. Nick Turpin is one of the UK's most respected street shooters and established advertising design and editorial photographers, the man behind the first international collective of street photographers in public at the turn of the century. And Fujifilm's Laura Ross, marketing executive for the professional photographer team using the X and GFX series cameras in the UK. The show starts today, though, with a few thoughts on the beach just west of the pier between myself and Kev, basking in what feels like a little early autumn global warmth. Can you believe that, Kev? Look, two people swimming out there. Do you fancy it? Uh, no. Look at them. Proper, proper swimming. With their arms and everything, not just standing there. Oh, no, they're out their depth. Yeah. Is the other one all right, do you think? One's swimming, the other one just seems to be bobbing. Yeah, well, he's swimming away from the other one, so... Yeah, I think they're all right. Stupid mind. <laughs> How many people do you think will come today? <sighs> Two, three. <laughs> Have you ever done a photo walk about? You've done your workshops, but this is not a workshop. Not really. Not like a normal, just regular photo walk. It's normally a workshop. So, uh, yeah, no, we'll just wander. We'll wander. We'll wander along the beach. We'll wander up to the lanes. What a day, though. Sunshine out. God, what a weird bloke that we met last night, though, in, <laughs> in the pub. Do you know, if anybody ever is worried about the fact that as a wedding photographer that um, that people are they're a bit sort of aloof to you or, or, or you're, you're not worthy that guy last night what, what was his story uh, I don't know I, he, we were just chatting to him and his wife nice enough and then suddenly he just stood up he said to Neil, what do you do? Neil said, I'm a wedding photographer. And he said to his wife, come on, we're going. And walked out. <laughs> and that was it. They're photographers. You showed him your X100F. The look of terror in his eyes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I reckon he's a spy or something. He saw the camera and he was like, oh, no, they're press. Yeah. Uh, that's what it was. He's like, Two press photographers with one X100F between them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't even on or pointed at them. No. <laughs> he probably thought it could look round corners. Anyway. Yeah. Welcome to Brighton. The Fujicast. We were a little bit concerned, weren't we, that maybe only three people 
would turn up. Yeah. You, me, and Steve, who's doing some stuff here. And we didn't really want him to come. Yeah. And look how many people are here! Oh, well, thank you very much all for coming to this uh, um, this this meetup. We're ordering food, uh, drinks, and we're gonna we're gonna answer some questions. We did say it was gonna be a special edition. Uh, we're gonna answer the questions that you've sent in, but not too many today, um, because we also want to open it up to the audience so that um, they get a chance to ask the questions. Um, we've got Sean Tucker here, um, who you heard on the show recently. Uh, we've got Nick Turpin, who's hiding right at the back over there. Um, who's going to answer some questions on street photography. And Laura's here from Fujifilm as well. So, uh, and she's going to sing the theme tune. So, Laura, if you like, no. <laughs> I've never seen you go that colour before. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll start with questions. I always ask Kev, do you want to go first or me? What, what do you want to do? You go first. Okay. So, uh, hey, Neil and Kev, hope you're both well. Here's my question. I'm sitting outside house for an art lover in Glasgow after a wedding where I've been shooting since 10.30 a.m. It's now 10 p.m. This sort of day that you do, Kev, isn't it? You do these mammoth long days. Nothing unusual, but as I sit in the car, I'm about to do what I always do and, and get some music on. It got me wondering, um, so a nice light question to start with. Um, how do you guys, one, prep in the car for a wedding? Do you listen to music, and if so, what gets you going? I, found, I find good music gets me fired up for the day ahead, something like Oasis, U2, some dance music. Kev, um, it's got to be country music for you, isn't it, really? No. No, I listen to I, I listen to audiobooks all the way. Do you? No music. Uh, and, and I have a ritual that 15 minutes before I reach my destination, I have to listen to Radio 3. Radio 3? Yep. Right. Yep. Well, I, I, I thought it was just non-stop Dolly Parton in no, your car. No, 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 not on wedding days. So, second yeah. question, question. He said, on the way home, do you listen to something relaxing or do you enjoy the silence on both journeys? Well, we already know mm. now you do, it's not silence for you. But you like your lot. You did a mammoth long journey the other day, didn't you, in Ireland? You did like four hours. In fact, you didn't sleep for 32 hours. 39 hours. 39 hours. Yeah, so on Saturday, this is why I'm looking a little bit jaded now. Still. Right. On Saturday, I started at 7 a.m. in the morning, started shooting at 10 a.m., uh, shot through till 11pm this was in West Cork got in the car drove for four and a half hours to Dublin dropped my car hire, hire car off got the 6am flight back to Bristol got home and then Gemma said I have to go to the hospital because her father-in-law's unwell uh, you're going to have to look after the kids uh, I'll be back on Monday so I ended up going to bed with the kids at 9.30 at night, <laughs> 39, 41 hours later or something. Are you looking for sympathy from everybody? No, I'm not. You, you, just, you just asked me that question. Well, you? all right. I've, yeah. I have an argument about it. <laughs> um, I, th I thought maybe we'd op open this up and see what other people listen to when, when, they're, when they're working. So Steve's going to uh, rove with a roving microphone. Anybody want to share what they, uh, what they listen to in the... Uh, let's see, uh, don't be shy. This is, not a, this, is not a this is not a silent cast. It's a podcast. I tend to listen to Maribu State at the moment. Maribu what? Maribu State. What's that? A dance act, sort of not too intense, but kind of wakes you up enough if it's a early start and on the way home, silence. That, yeah. that sounds like something the youngsters listen to. It Neil. does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no idea, never heard of anything There's like that. There's a club across the road that you probably <laughs> they, love tonight. Do they, do they get into the hit parade these days? Uh, Nobody calls it the hit parade uh, anymore. Not quite in the top 40, <laughs> no, but it's, it's not like, it's not, not too much to think about. You can just kind of have it on and yeah, yeah. so I don't like too much in that you, you, I kind of like to focus on what I'm going to do yeah, instead yeah. of focusing on the music. So it's just something to sort of yeah. fill silence. And then on the way home, yeah, I tend to not listen to much. So, you kind of wind down. So I met a filmmaker who actually listens to music during the day. Uh, and she said that it helps her get in this zone. And, and, and she finds that... I, I don't know, Could you do that? Wear some headphones? and I, I mean, you don't... You generally... Because it's documentary, you're not necessarily being gregarious and chatting with people I, I do sometimes put my headphones on um, at weddings yeah mm -hmm. during after the first dance sometimes if I if I can't if their music they've got is weird or something I put my <laughs> headphones on honestly <laughs> I do it and but it's it's um, and I just put like my whatever I'm listening to on quite loud I don't do it that often but I have done it so if it's not in the hit parade if it's not in the hit parade then yeah. I'm not interested yeah. Any, anybody else go on this is Anna basically I cannot listen to anything on the way to a wedding I have to have total silence because I'm scared and I need to just literally think about what I've got ahead yeah um, <laughs> at the end of a wedding depending on how it's gone um, I either want to burst into tears or I actually think <laughs> I could literally do go clubbing it's right. like that feeling burst into tears and then I get burst into tears if it's been really long I mean if I'd done one like Kevin right. in the West Court one I would have been 
finished. emotional by oh, the end yeah, of that. Emotional. I don't know if you were, Kevin, were you emotional at the end of it or just... I wouldn't use the word emotional. <laughs> you don't really do emotion, do you? Not really, no. not very often. Maybe I'm too tired. emotional. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Right. No, I was tired and hungry. <laughs> Kev, you got a question, go for it. Okay, um, I this is from David Holloway in Hertfordshire. I recently bought a Fujifilm X70 after watching one of your reviews on YouTube as I was looking for a nice little compact camera to carry around to shoot the kids. And I love it when everybody says that, shoot the shoot kids. Shoot the kids, yeah. And used for street photography. <laughs> However, since then I have seen a lot about the uh, X100F and no thinking about either upgrading or adding it to my arsenal of gear. What extra can the X100F offer me that the X70 can't and do you think it's still be holding, or it's worth holding on to the X70? I always, I always defer to you when with that camera because I don't have that camera. So, yeah, I so mean, I have the X100F, but... Yeah, well, the X70, it's quite hard to get hold of it. We've spoken about this before, yeah. but it's a beautiful camera. Um, I would definitely keep both if, if he could. Um, and... I mean, the great. I haven't got the X70 with me today. I've got the X100F, but the X70 is, you know, even smaller, slimmer. Uh, it's not as good in low light performance-wise. It's not as quick, perhaps, as the X100F. X100F is, you know, kind of new, the newer sensor and everything. Yeah. So, they're slightly different cameras, but yeah, I mean, both is the answer. I always say that. That's always my stock answer when it comes to X70, X100F. Yeah. Um, if you had to choose just one then it would probably be the X100F. Pete Johnson, hi Neil, Kev. Let's say uh, you're stopping wedding photography, or, or to be honest, any kind of photography. You could be retiring, uh, to, or just decided to stop, or you've won the lottery. If photography all of a sudden was going to be a passionate hobby, what, what what would your gear bag look like? I thought it was a really interesting question, actually. Yeah, no, well, the thing is, it is still a passion, isn't it? It's yeah. not just a job, that's the, that's the thing. So I don't think I actually have any cameras. I mean, I have some old cameras that are no longer used that were... Uh, that are not anything I would you know carry on using now like with the old XE cameras and stuff but all of the ones that I have are I have for a reason yeah I would I'd like to get more into film photography I've got my old film cameras that I never really do anything with did Something you see like talking of film have you seen what Sean Tucker's I, I, brought with him I spotted it's it. almost like somebody yeah. it's like that movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids but it's gone the other way that that, that, that used to be a Fuji X100F and it's become this huge <laughs> great great Sean bring that camera over. come and come and jump on the microphone at, at the end over there, because I'm I'm fascinated by this uh, by this camera. Because there's there's a are you allowed to talk about the yeah you can talk about the project you're doing with it or yeah. tell us what the camera is describe um, it for us. It's a f and I brought this because you know apparently you weren't letting people in if they didn't shoot with Fuji. <laughs> is that right? So I thought I had I to bring it. It's a it's a it's a GW690 and it's the second version, so it's a two. Yeah. It's a six by nine negative, so it's medium format, but pretty much as big as a medium format neg yeah, can yeah. get. So you've got your medium format look but you've also got your three by two aspect ratio, which most of us are used to, so it's quite nice. And I'm using it for, you know, no light meter, it's all totally mechanical. Um, you have to change your aperture, shutter speed, everything in the actual lens as well. So it's as manual as it gets, yeah. Um, and it's a 90 mil, which on six by nine is roughly, it's about a 38 mil equivalent. So it gives you like a perfect sort of 35, 40 mil environmental portrait thing. So at the moment I'm just shooting other photographers on it, portraits to get used to it and testing a bunch of films and learning better how to develop film myself because I've got a project coming up in the long run which is going to involve environmental portraits and spaces and I'd, I'd kind of I'd like to do it on film just to do something different mm. I'm not the ones you showed me are, are terrific that fall off is amazing isn't it it's well because it's a massive negative so yeah. you, you know what you're going to get out of a out of a 90 mil and this goes down to 3.5 yeah you know on a on a on a full frame sensor on APS-C is one thing but when you do a 645 negative or medium format there's way more depth of field but when you get a 69 it's huge you're almost i mean someone said this is almost half of a 4x5 mm. so you're you're almost you know getting into that you know, massive large format territory it's pretty much as big as medium format goes well, you certainly can't be, uh, you know, a shrinking violet with that camera. On, on, on the <laughs> they call it they call it the Texas Leica because it looks like a Leica, yeah. but it's built like a brick. It's yeah. like massive. Yeah. You could do serious yeah. damage to somebody with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, while while you're here, let's let's talk about social media and your your YouTube channel. Must we? Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Um, you've not completely changed direction, but you've gone a certain direction with with the last few films or the interviewing. What what's the thinking behind this I've always had a I've always had a love for um, documentary whether it's stills or video something about me wants to be a storyteller yeah. so being able to bring together shooting video and yeah. telling stories has been great so all I've done this year is I picked um, other photographers to do videos on and I've done about eight now I started with my grandfather 
he talked through that was a great film yeah yeah it was yeah. lovely and he sort of talked through his shots when he was in the navy 1945 46 47 through japan mm. down through you know singapore malaysia australia he's got shots in his album which show the fallout from hiroshima and nagasaki he took on a box brownie camera yeah. and just getting those stories from him was amazing and that sort of triggered i could be doing this more often so i started to do films with other street photographers, uh, Fiona Lark, up in the Lake District, does these beautiful self-portraits. Mm. Um, a friend of mine who does candid, sort of, uh, not candid, she, she asks people on the street for portraits on the street as well. Yeah. She rides around on a motorbike and lives out of a tent half the year doing that sort of thing. So just photographers who've got interesting stories or ways of working. Yeah. And it's pretty much my favorite sort of video I do now. I, I get the most out of it. And, and that and is that a direction you're going to go now, or we will we will see still see the philosophy. Uh, yeah, yeah. For, 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 you yeah. know what I'm saying. I know what you're philosophical. philosophical. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> those ones, philosophy ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because because these ones take a lot longer to put together. Yeah. Like filming something that's a documentary, getting that story stuff. It's filming the interview, and then it's getting a bunch of B-roll. So it'll take a day or two to film, and then you know, yeah. half a week to a week to edit it together. I couldn't do those two a month. Um, on top of everything else I'm doing so I'll mix it in with other stuff but yeah it's definitely going to be a regular thing now yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to open up the floor a bit has, has anybody got any questions about um, social media YouTube or, sorry Sean I've sort of rather dumped this one on you there but anybody, anybody got any questions for, for Sean at all with regard to YouTube o, o, over here let's bring the mic to you looking at your um, YouTube last night I thought it was actually brilliant you were in Rome I think it was in Rome somewhere you're talking about people being in shots but not in a direct way but it's Fantastic, I just got to say that. Yeah, I mean, um, my, my oh, yeah. sort of style of doing street photography is absolutely because I'm a coward and I don't like confrontation with people. So I, I tend to shoot wider and step back. So I, I, I had the X100 for a while. I'm now on the Ricoh, which is a, a basically a 28mm equivalent. Um, and I like to sort of step back and shoot light in a space and shadow in a space that looks interesting. And whoever's walking through the shot is incidental. They're more for scale. Um, so I'm, I'm, technically I'm not really a street photographer what I'm doing I suppose uh, Nick will tell you like I'm not really a street photographer <laughs> I like sort of the shapes and shadows and, and something more graphical and if someone walks into the shot then and gets upset because they think I took their photograph I can genuinely say no you walked into my photo because I'm shooting the space and the subject is almost incidental in a way so I, I kind of approach it slightly differently because that yeah. Kevin no, I think it's amazing that you know in the, in the YouTube world that we live where you know, we've all we're all on there, and we've all been on there, and and there is so much, and this is something I'm guilty of myself, so much um, kind of gear chasing and you know worrying about kind of the likes and follows and all that kind of stuff, and and then it's just really refreshing to see like channels like yours where it's just about the integrity of it, you know, and the honesty of everything, um, and I think that's you know that's really great, and and it's something that I, you know we struggle I struggle with on YouTube I haven't done anything on YouTube for about six months purely because I, I'm, I'm just kind of at that point where I'm just thinking people just want me to talk about cameras and you know it's it, the, the art form and the, the kind of pictures and everything seem to be uh, you know secondary in, in that their opinions and then when you do put stuff up there you'll then get the trolls and everything mm -hmm. and that you know that they're painful very painful um, you know mm -hmm. and you just have to deal with it but it's just nice to, you know, kind of see different elements of your channel growing, and uh, I think, you know, both Neil and I, we're on Messenger. You've seen Sean's latest <laughs> new film. How do you handle the the negativity, the trolls? I mean, you, you did do something about it on. You talked about this on your channel. I think it just helps to remember where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, anyone who trolls you is is almost certainly another creative who is angry that they're not getting the attention that you're getting. It's mm. It's a jealousy thing often, and mm. I, I don't say that like I'm a big deal because I don't think I am, but I, if you know it comes from there, you can actually, because I can remember when I was frustrated, and I didn't go out trolling people just because I'm an introvert, <laughs> that's not my personality, <laughs> but, like, but I felt that frustration, and I felt like I would pick apart other photographers or other people who were getting the attention I felt I, I wanted, and sort of pull their work apart in my head. And it, it was just a game, if I can't get there, I'll try to pull them back a bit, even if it's just... So you're just dealing with somebody who, who feels the need to drag you back a bit because they're angry, they're not getting that. And sometimes you, you actually don't know who you're dealing with. You might be dealing with, with someone with mental illness, sitting at home, like living with their parents still. It, for me to jump back on there and start attacking them and bullying them, yeah. which, I, which is easy to do because I've got this crowd behind me, 
I, I'm an ass now. Like yeah. that's not that's not a nice thing to do. And when you know that's where it comes from, I think it's easier to sort of put it in the right box in your head and not take it seriously. I mean, no no one's going to say anything to me that I don't already know. Yeah. You know, I mean, oh, you you messed up this shot. I I knew I messed up that shot way before you picked it up. Like I I already know where I made mistakes here or, or did things wrong. Um, and and a lot of the a lot of the trolling will be about gear. I mean, you know, it'll be about you should use this camera. Or why are you doing things this way? Or your technique with that or whatever. It's it's very. The other thing I say is like you you won't find a talented troll. Go look go look for their work. You mm. can never find their work. They don't show it anywhere. It's usually an anonymous some weird name or a number often just like yeah, a string yeah, of numbers yeah, yeah. like a Wi-Fi password is their profile name <laughs> there's no face there and then you click and try to find their work and it's never there the people who want to disagree with you and have a good conversation and I love those will always have their name and yeah. they'll all, you'll always be able to find what they do and they'll back themselves that, that's not a troll yeah there's that's nothing different. wrong with debate no I mean, no they, they don't, that's great I mean this is, this is not a contest that everybody has to say how much they, they, you know, they love your work yeah. I mean I've, I've seen you debate with people in, in yeah. comments but um, th let's be honest, uh, who, who watches YouTube here? I mean, I would imagine most people, okay, I want you to be absolutely honest with me. Have you how, ever, ever trolled any of us? <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah. Was, that wasn't going to be the question. Who, whose username is Big Bad Bob? <laughs> how many of you have, have used the thumb down on, on something that you, be honest, it was a bit unfair really, because who's going to say they have? I mean, have you, ever, have you ever used the thumb down button? Only on yours. Right. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I always wonder where those 53 came from. Yeah. So, that's my 53 accounts I've set up. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, no. Sean. Uh, round of applause for Sean Tucker, please. So food, food is coming out. I thought we might, uh, I thought we might open up the, the floor a little bit here and see if anybody's got any questions um, that, that we could discuss. So we'll, we'll, start, we'll start over there. Um, say your names first if you can, because that'll be much friendlier in the mix. Hello there, my name's Simon. I've come with my daughter Mandy right. all the way from the black country. Right. And over breakfast this morning we were discussing oblique strategies by Brian Eno. You know, you get stuck in a in some sort of rut and you need to get out of it. God, this well, is the wrong podcast. This is just to show the sort of level we're operating at. Here's a couple of oblique strategies from Mandy and Simon. Uh, this is one of mine. You are now six. Mandy's. I'll show you mine if you'll show me yours. Right. So, if I could put it to the floor, what would be your oblique photographic strategy to help Mandy and Simon for the first time ever get a decent shot? God, I, 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 uh, I don't think I understood the question. <laughs> Kev, what's your oblique strategy? Uh, I've actually been working out my obliques a little bit in the gym of late. My oblique um, strategy... Then you can't see it. Is 35 with 35. Right. 35 pictures with 35 mil lens. 35 pictures with 35. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Well, we talked about 50 with 50. 50 with 50. Yeah. 35 with 35. Any more questions from the floor? Let's let's uh, over here. Uh, Paul Gallagher from uh, York. Hi, uh, my question: uh, I'm um, predominantly shoot street photography and trying to kind of improve that. What's a good way of getting sort of honest, decent critique? for your work I mean I guess it doesn't have to necessarily be street photography whatever whatever kind of thing you shoot but you know to kind of improve what what you know what, what are people's recommendations with regards to getting critique on the work I think the perfect person to answer this question is, is actually making his way to microphone three good question there are lots of places there are lots of Facebook groups that you can go to get uh, to get your work critiqued um, the, the tricky thing is um, where are the good ones mm -hmm. and I think um, finding somebody who whose work uh, you like and respect um, is probably a good place to start um, I think if you can find a photographer who's working in a way that you like um, most of them I think would be happy to um, to look at your work and give you comments um, I, I get sent a lot of a lot of photographs by people um, and, I, and it only takes you know a sentence or a paragraph to point out what they've done right what they could have done better um, so um, by all means send work to me but also just you know the, the street photographers whose work, whose work you think is good and, and you aspire to, to yeah. being like, you know, they're the ones who can tell you uh, how to improve your game and, and your strategies on the street. That would, that would be my approach, I think. While we've got Nick Turpin here, let's, let's see if we've got some more questions on, on shooting in the street. Generally speaking, what's your do's and don'ts when it comes to approaching a photograph? Um, do you mean in terms like pictorially or in terms of uh, dealing with people on the street? Or a bit of both? Kind of, if you saw something like, okay, 
can't think. So it's a, a screaming child down the like left Like children side. or... Something like that. Okay. Don't ignore that and walk on. And um, well, I think, obviously, you know, in the UK, uh, we live in a democracy, so everything that happens in a public place is a matter of public record. So we, we're starting from that sort of legal perspective where you can photograph anything you can see in a public place. Um, but that doesn't, you know, over the top of that, you kind of overlay your own kind of ethical and moral, you know, position. Um, and I think you have to make your own mind up a little bit about that. I mean, there's a big spectrum of photographers out there. Some people who are quite aggressive, like, you know, Bruce Gilden, perhaps, who sort of lunges at people. Um, and then there are people probably a bit more like me. I, li- I like to work a bit like a ghost on the street. You know, people, people don't really see me. Um, I guess my do's and don'ts, I don't photograph homeless people because they don't choose to be in a public place, uh, whereas the rest of us all decide to leave the house and whatever we're wearing or whatever we do when we're in the public place, that's up to us. And I think if you get photographed, you know, then um, that's kind of, you know, fair game. Um, I mean, you know, the children issue is quite interesting. Some of the, some of the greatest street photographs in history ha- include children, you know, and it's a shame that we're sort of making a public record of, of photography now which, which excludes children, and I don't really see a good reason why, you know. Um, but at the same time, you do have to be a bit, a bit careful and you have to respect parents' wishes, and there is a sort of safeguarding issue, I think, with children. Um, I mean, I, ha- I do photograph children. I often will make eye contact with the parents and indicate and uh, you know, there are ways of doing it with sign language without ruining the scene um, and then also I tend to shoot you know broader bigger scenes so children might be just one element of a much bigger picture I like I'm a, I consider myself a kind of tableau photographer you know shoot a tableau of figures in a in escape um, and so often the, the issue doesn't really come up because it you know I'm photographing 15 people of which two might be children so it's not too much of an issue for me that's similar to uh, it, well in fact it's identical to my, my, my kind of take on it and because I get asked that question a lot as well and uh, you know what I, my answer to people is I would only really take pictures of something I would be comfortable being in that picture myself and that extends to my kids as well so uh, you know if my kids are kicking a football around in the street or something and somebody's taking a picture because it's documented in the street then that's cool you know if a stranger comes up and takes a close-up picture of, of them as a portrait that's different you know and then you'd want to understand why that was happening um, but you know my my fear for or, you know the, the fact that people ask these questions is concern you know it's cause for concern because we're, we're, we're heading towards this this culture where people automatically um, uh, are, are sceptical about why you are using a camera, why you're on the streets taking pictures. And yet, you know, if we, you know, if you look at France, for example, and most of mainland Europe, where, where technically you can't, you, technically you can't do it without getting permission and stuff. Yet, you know, we have all of the, the great history pictures of the past. And, you know, what happens when our grandkids go to school and they're, they're like, uh, yeah, here's pictures of the 80s and 90s and 2000s and uh, we got no more pictures of what it was like in real life because we weren't allowed to take any pictures. Uh, you know, and that's a terrible thing that, that could happen and, and it's a real fear. And yet the irony is we've all got dash cams in our car. We're probably in this place being filmed a million times and, you know, it's all there. It's all out there. It's just that, you know, with the, 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 the I think the perception. change has been social media, the arrival of yeah, social media. Absolutely. So the, the thing is that in the past when a picture was taken, it probably wasn't going to be posted for, for yeah. 100,000 people to see. And yeah. that's what's changed, I think. So yeah. it's that loss of control of the image of a child, you know, yeah. when, when a, a street photographer makes a picture, that's what's changed, I think. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, I think photographers, you know, as street photographers, we have to push back a little bit. Um, I'm very, you know, keen on speaking to security guards and saying, actually, you know, this is a public place. I can take pictures here or, or explaining to a parent, you know, I'm just making a, a historical record. I have my photographs in... The collections of museums and I'm you know you know I'm, I'm not doing anything uh, that, that should be vilified you know yeah. and just explain yourself and, and educate a little bit do you I find that, do that's a good process to be involved with do you yeah. find as soon as you try and enter debate with a security guard that that becomes the confrontation that you're trying to avoid in the first place um, I think you can usually tell from the first sentences right. <laughs> how it's going to go and very often uh, I will ask to see their you know the head of security and I've I, in the past I've been up to the 15th floor of a tower block to speak to the head of security wow, and and okay. got an apology and, and and a promise that they will re-educate their staff I and mean, this has happened in the financial district of London it, but you have to be very you know you have to keep calm 
and explain the law and say yeah. actually this is a public place yeah. public are coming and going um, it might be privately owned but uh, if the public are coming and going freely then it's a public place and I can take pictures there so Pat Gomez sent in a question and I'll, I'll read the question in, in a moment because question number two uh, I want to aim at you but he, he did talk about um, the rules of shooting um, the public in, in the UK that does sound weird when you say that doesn't the rules about shooting public in, in, in the UK what happens when you've got a building that, that is supposedly copyright um, you hear these people say you, you can't take a picture of this building but you're on you're on the street the Eiffel Tower is a great is a great example in France I think it depends on the country yeah. So when I work in the States, for example, we do have to worry about uh, property rights yeah. and get them cleared. But in the UK, I don't think you do. No. Um, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think, I think it only comes into play if the, the, your pictures are used commercially to yeah. start with. So if, you're, if, you, if it's artistic use and the pictures you're making are just going to be exhibited or published, which, which most of mine are, um, then, uh, then I don't think this is a problem anyway. No, you know, it's, it's the same as it would be with model release forms. I don't need to model release form my street photography if it's no. just going to be in a book. Um, and so, that, you know, there's obviously a very famous case with Philip Lorca de Corsia, the you know the photographer who, uh, you know, where that where a sort of precedence was set in law where he won a case mm. about that. So, you know, I mean, that was in the states, but it seems to have had a, a reaching effect everywhere. And also, just just um, Kevin mentioned that. In, in Europe, you can't take pictures of people in public places. You can't publish those pictures. Yeah, so you can take the pictures yeah. in France and so on. Yeah. Um, I did a project called The French, where, right. I, where I took well, deliberately to do street photography in France. And those pictures I publish in the UK, but not in France. Yeah. So just 20, 20 miles of sea separates where I can and can't publish them. Yeah. And that was a deliberate you know, act on my behalf to sort of make, make a point about that. Did you initially, uh, I, I know I did, um, initially panic when GDPR's four letters first made their way into into our conscience. Yes, there's been a lot of disinformation about this, I think. I mean, I wrote to the um, the Office of Information, I think it was, um, whoever's organising it, and, and still haven't had a reply, no. specifically asking about street photography. You know, what, what, you know, I'm a street photographer, what, what are the rules here? Um, my under I, to start with, I don't think that legislation was ever aimed at photography. Yeah. I don't think it was ever intended to be applied to photography. And also, I don't think a photograph of somebody in the street, which, uh, you know, you have no date of birth, no name. Um, you don't, it's very unspecific information. You don't know, uh, you know, who that person is. Maybe, obviously, you have eye colour, hair colour, height. You might be able to determine ethnicity, those sort of details. But I, I think the fact that they are non-specific um, means that GDPR doesn't really, uh, really apply. Pat Gomez then, he, he sent in, we've kind of dealt with the, um, the, the rules of shooting in public, or shooting the public in the UK, but he said in a few months I'm going to be transferring um, to the UK. Now he's coming from Saudi Arabia, and uh, where, where I would imagine it's... It's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, it's going to be easier, Pat. I can promise you this is going to be like a walk in the park. So I also do photography as a hobby, and um, I, I think... In essence, he wants to do a lot of street work. He does say here, though, and you may not be able to necessarily comment on the particular camera, but he says, do you recommend the X100 to curb the attention of the authorities? It's not really about the camera, though. It's, it's, it's about the way you act, isn't it? Well, I mean, you don't have to curb the behaviour of the authorities because you're allowed to take pictures in public places. It's not really an issue. I mean, I would certainly, I would certainly encourage him to use an X100. To use a, to use a small, discreet camera in a public yeah. place yeah. Uh, allows me to take a frame and then see how a scene develops. If I use a big DSLR with a big lens that makes a big clicking noise, yep. people generally see me and, I, and I, never get, I never get to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. And so from my, my point of view, using a small discrete camera that's very, very quiet, um, in a, and the X100 is absolutely perfect yeah, for that perfect, from, yeah. from my perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, you can use it with one hand. Uh, I often, when I'm on the street, I don't face the people that I'm on to photograph. I'll often stand sideways on and address, okay. you know, a different direction. And then I can take pictures sideways. Yeah, I would highly recommend <laughs> that the X100 or a similar small, you know. Similar small unit, yeah. yeah. Any other questions for, for Nick? Hi, yeah, I'm Matt Greenwood. I come from Bath. And my question is about Instagram, sort of, to all of you. Um, it, particular around street um, so I only work part time and so my Instagram is sort of a higgle to be mess of whatever I want to put up because there's no sort of pressure on it um, but I was wondering if your Instagrams were purely personal and not just to promote a brand or for work or any of that how would it differ if at all oh wow that's a good question yeah that is a good question yeah um, this is actually something which um, I have to juggle like with my website, with my 
with my Instagram, with, with Twitter, all my social media, because I work as a photographer, a commercial photographer, but I also take pictures of family and I do my personal street photography. Um, and it's quite often difficult balancing those things in, in one place, you know. Um, I mean, I guess my Instagram is a, blend, is a blend of the two things, you know. It's the photography I love. Um, I just put out there my best street photographs. It's, it's the job of art directors and uh, picture editors to see that and, and, and commission me to use it in different ways. It's a quite a difficult question. I'm still it's, wrestling with it myself. It's a tough you one. Know? Yeah. How many Instagram accounts do you have, Nick? Do I have? Yeah. Do you have any um, private run, little sneaky ones we should know about? Well, I run several, but they tend to be for things like Street London, which right. is the, the festival that I run, run once a year. And then um, uh, I have my Nick Turpin account, yeah. which, is, which is my personal street photography. You're smiling. There is another one you're not telling us about. <laughs> <laughs> I, try, I try to keep it to Big a minimum because <laughs> yeah. I mean, what can yeah. happen is that social media can run away with you. Yes, you, you don't yes, end up actually yeah. taking, you know, being out, being a photographer. Yeah. You need to keep those things under control. So I focus on Instagram and my website primarily. And recently I've started doing you, a bit of YouTube teaching. Um, but I'm trying to keep it to those three things. Otherwise it can just, you know. I, I would say that if it wasn't for business, if it wasn't for work, I wouldn't have any of it. I would, <laughs> I would just close it all down. And just so you wouldn't have a personal one? No, no, I don't think so. I don't know because, like in the real world, stand like, by. Warning, warning. <laughs> the people you know in real life, you know, like not the Facebook people and stuff. You, you know, you'd show them on your phone or you'd show them at home or you'd have a book or something. And so, if it wasn't for this this world that we exist in or I exist in and work and weddings and business and everything I'm not sure I'd share much at all to be honest with you but don't uh, you find that it's a two-way street that you're putting your work out there but if you if you follow carefully if you're quite careful about who you follow I discover the most amazing oh, street photography absolutely. through Instagram so it's, yeah. it, it's, it's coming towards me that, that I found the most yeah. exciting bit no 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 absolutely I'm thinking completely based on if I was not a professional photographer that's that you know if I if I didn't have a business like that that's that's my, my kind of thought process but no you're absolutely right I mean I go down the, the Instagram rabbit hole very often mm. yeah. and I'm just follow through follow through and, 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 and then I get thoroughly depressed and then switch the thing off. And I, I do want to ask Laura a question, actually, <laughs> from Fuji Film, because, I mean, you, you look, obviously, one of your jobs is social well, it's social media. Partly, yes. Partly. Content creation. Content creation. Yeah. You deal with a lot of different photographers, don't mm -hmm. you? Yeah. So how important is, is social media? Who's your favourite photographer, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm biased, Kev. <laughs> but um, it is very important. I think now, um, as a brand, uh, we want to put the best work out there, but it's a two-way street for us as well. So we feature people, they yeah. get seen by our audience. Um, so yeah, it's really important. And I think, arguably, it's one of the best places to find new talent as well. It seems to be quite a great breeding ground. Well, that was going to be my next question: was yeah. do you go looking actively at Fujifilm yeah. for people that are posting and yeah, hashtagging? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a lot of people approaching us. Yeah. But we find people through uh, hashtag repost my Fujifilm yeah. as well, and people that tag the brand in things, and that is fantastic for us. We love seeing people's work, and we encourage people to share as much as we can. And you just did a really nice uh, week of pictures with Polly Russell. Yes, so love yes. really Polly. enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, it works. Yeah, it yeah. Works. We we do um, a featured photographer every single week for the whole year. So 52 new photographers that we work with, um, and then we repost people probably once a day, um, and we have quite a solid social schedule. So it's yeah, it's 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 good. But it's a it's a great platform just to find new people, network. Yeah, it's fantastic. Do you have your own Instagram I do. account? You do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. I have a personal one. I'm very bad for spamming Instagram. I shoot a lot, and I tend to just kind of post everything. It's a bit of a brain dump for me. Yeah. Any creative that I do, I'm just like boom, 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 send it out. So yeah. What are, what are the rules, Kev? Generally, um, and Laura maybe on this, and how how many times you should post a, a day on Instagram? Because honestly, much like everything with social media, it's not quite like the SEO thing that we're used to talking about. No, no, no. But if you, I mean, if you if you posted five pictures every day and the mess, the marketing elements of it, were, you know, with hundreds of hashtags and stuff, then the algorithm is just going to demote you for sure. Yeah. But if you, you know, if you if you're posting five pictures and and you're the, the text you're putting with them is is relevant and real and you're, you're conversing with people then it would be fine yeah um just do it when when you feel you have something you know that's the thing don't uh, well you know 
remember the social in social, social media, social right? Media, yeah. People where's, forget where's the merch, social. Man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> New T-shirt needed. You know, it's it's you're gonna you'll you'll get so much further by writing um, writing content in Instagram than by just putting 35 hashtags yeah. underneath. You know, I put I, I write a whole load of text about a picture, and then I'll answer the questions and stuff that come through it, mm. uh, rather than just hashtag this that that this nobody wants to see that that's just spam uh, ladies and gentlemen nice round of applause then please for Nick Turpin okay let's go back to some questions and I'd like to uh, open up the floor again and uh, see if anybody else has any questions uh, Kev your turn I believe uh, okay so I've got Brad Brad Wakefield who um uh, he caused a storm in the Facebook group during the week, didn't complete he? Complete. He did that on purpose, and he's not here today. He says, "Hey, my comments on the Facebook page aren't from a place of criticism." Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, in fairness, I think what you're both doing is really refreshing and positive. Yada 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 yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah blah blah. Right. Okay. Answer the questions, and and the reason why he sent these questions is in is because I said to him, "Well, we don't get many non-gear questions, so yeah, send some non-gear questions." He sent in like six. He sent a year's worth from him. There's six yeah. questions, so I reckon what we should do is um, pick people here to oh, answer the good questions. Idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, first one though, we need a, hands up if you're a wedding photographer. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm going to go straight in front of us. Yeah. Question number one from Brad. As most people now claim to be a documentary wedding photographer, <laughs> do you think this is just a cover-up for people feeling unconfident in taking in talking to people? Oh. Um, I would say I'm a documentary wedding photographer, but I'm not scared to talk to people. Mm. I think it helps your subject feel more relaxed around you. So, like, if you're sort of standing and hiding behind your camera. Yeah. Um, I mean, I been a photographer for quite a while so I think from working in portraits you want your subject to be relaxed and then yeah. you can capture those moments happening around you yeah, yeah. Um, so probably not no I think you've got to you know I think um, be adaptable and yeah. just work with who you're shooting still just because it's a wedding and you're documenting it it doesn't mean you have to hide yourself and not just capture it. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a loaded question. Isn't yeah, it? Not, not 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 purposely loaded, but it's it's one of those kind of uh, you know. I was once asked um, asked, uh, did, is it true that you just give all of the pictures that are in focus to your clients? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, it is true actually, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what we should have is a, uh, a new piece of firmware that just deletes all of the out of focus pictures automatically, and that's, that's yeah. the culling done straight away. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'd be left with two or three. <laughs> okay, another wedding photographer, hands up. Okay. Right, we'll go with Steve because Steve's helping us out. Yep, Steve's got the mic next to him. You it, can answer this one. If you weren't photographing weddings, uh, what area of photography would you like to work in? That's dead easy. Sport. 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 Oh, yeah. All oh, right. Absolutely love to be a cricket photographer and spend all my time in the sunshine drinking beer. Well, a little bit of beer and taking photos of cricket. It's supposed to work, not drink beer. Well, yeah. Cricket's okay. not. You didn't a say sport. that bit. <laughs> cricket is a sport. No. The only things that aren't sport, anything you can play in the pub, is not a sport. So, so snooker out. That's not a sport. If you can play something and be unfit, it's not a sport. No. Darts, not a sport. Snooker is a great sport. Cricket, Net netball. No, netball's a sport. Of course it is. So yeah, cricket for you. Cricket, absolutely, and football. But cricket will be my first love. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, who said that? You need a six hundred mil lens. Yeah. Six hundred. Yeah, probably yeah. at least. Yeah. Four fifty in the future. Yeah, you couldn't exactly be a documentary cricket photographer, could you? Sort of running on with oh, your. Are we still talking about cricket? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I've fallen into a coma. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Question two. Uh, no, question three. Oh, three, three. So um, not necessarily. Right. Hands up. Just anybody. Hands up. First one I see. Hands up. Somebody's going to answer a question. Right. Over there. Schilling. Michael uh, Schilling. How do you cope with the backlog of editing when you're sat at the computer for days on end? Uh, personally, it really does my head in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's the worst part of my job. Uh, so you're, it's a good, you're a good person to answer this. I you, do. I mean, I shoot maybe 15 portrait shoots a week. So yeah. Yeah. We, wow. we pile up all the shoots at the end of the week on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then Monday, maybe Tuesday is just pure editing. Yeah. and marketing and doing other things but we got quite a refined process for it but it's a case of organising your week so yeah, you get Marcin to do it that's your process no no I, I, I edit my own thing <laughs> I, I get, actually get Guy Gowan to edit mine technically <laughs> in the process thing but it's just a case of building it into your week so you know on Monday you're always going to be editing on Tuesday you're going to have a nice day off 
Yeah. Can we throw this around a bit more? When do, when do you do your, your editing? Is it, is it a particular day? Let's go. Glasgow Lee. Glasgow Lee. It's like I've, University Challenge, uh, doesn't it? Glasgow um, Lee. I tell the customer when they're going to get them, and that just... There's nothing like a customer arriving at your front door to make you have the images ready. Yeah, yeah. and you, you do yeah. them the night before, though, don't you? Yeah. 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 It's like homework. It's like revision. An hour before. An hour before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really yeah. must clean the oven before I do any work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clean the oven yeah. Okay, next question. Okay. Um, hands up if you think you would, be, you would feel confident shooting a wedding with a film camera. Ah. Hands up if you would feel confident shooting a wedding with a film camera. So I'm gonna, we're going to move it around a bit. We'll go, go to the back first if that, that's okay, and we'll come forward with it. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't. Yeah, I used to shoot um, weddings with a film camera for yeah. about eight years. So, so it's fine. I'm very comfortable with a film camera. And in actual fact, it was Fuji that convinced me to go digital before that. I Maybe was... we should extend this question. Would you feel confident to shoot with film again now that you shoot with digitally, digital I, I would, but I... like. My level of paranoia was centred around the fact that I had three film cameras around me all the time. So I used to have like two with colour and one with black and white. And I yeah. never used to tell the bride and groom that I was shooting black and white. Yeah. So they always thought they were getting colour shots. And then I'd like surprise them basically with um, a set of black and white images. Not for the, throughout the whole wedding. I'd normally just shoot a roll of 24 or something like that and just yeah. give them a, a little added surprise of... Um, black and white images which normally went down well because they wasn't really expecting it and it was in a day when black and white had, had kind of lost a lot of market traction as it were and yeah. everybody wanted colour that yeah. was a few years ago now but yeah I'd, I'd be fine anybody else on that one oh, we come, come forward here uh, so I shot a wedding in March half film half digital yeah. um, and I think what's obviously quite nice is having the I guess you know we all have presets and how we know how to edit a digital shot yeah. but when it's film it is that's it there are yeah. no like gimmicks there's nothing at it it's yeah. your framing and your timing is just so key you can obviously deliver I mean I delivered it digitally I gave them a set of 35mm prints out of it kept the negatives for myself and you know it's it, it, it just has a little bit more pressure to it and stuff but I think it, it it helps me shoot digitally because I know how to shoot film so you kind of always working on your framing and your why did, why did you do it was it a client request um, yeah, I mean, the the groom was the advertising exec in, for Adidas and was like, oh, we saw that you can shoot film. Would you like to do some? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. You know, it's rare that you get a couple that will come along and who, I guess, you know, know what film is or go, oh, you know, I want my wedding photos. So just, you know, you'll turn up with your cameras and shoot. And, yeah. you know, that's that's the prerequisite. But for someone to go, actually, no, I really want that feel of, a, of an actual film image, mm -hmm. you can't really reproduce that it's, no, yeah, no, we've no. all got you know whatever it might be so um, and then it's really nice that when you know you deliver it and you go I mean I deliver everything online but in processing it I was able yeah. to have everything digitally and deliver their photos and, and add a section these are the ones that were on 35 so did, did you try and make the digital images look like the film one film ones not what necessarily did you, what film no did you film? what uh, film did you shoot it on I used uh, Delta uh, 400 and a Portra 400 so mm. it was a bit bit overcast mm. Um, so yeah, two rolls of colour, two rolls of black and white, and it kind of you, you know that you can separate what was film to what is digital mm. very easily. Um, in its, you know, in that's my style and my edit for film. Sorry for digital, and then you go that is the roll of film, and that's like I say, it's that that's what you're going to get from that roll of film. Yeah, okay, when it's digital, you could do whatever you want through Lightroom or whatever you're using, mm. but it, I think then again you're kind of distorting what you shot. Yeah, and I think. That, that throws back to sort of being documentary is why would you then you know, make it yeah, natural yeah, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Well, I think you. you're a very brave man <laughs> that was good fun um, okay final one from Brad uh, in my opinion the gear doesn't really matter as long as you're confident with it and you get what you need out of it do you think you could shoot a wedding on a smartphone no, smartphone well there have been a few photographers that have done that uh, of late as, uh, and of course now we've got the we were talking about it last night the Instagram um, Instagram weddings weddings yeah um, with I reckon I, I, I reckon I could do it on my it's amazing see this is these are it's four shh, don't listen don't, uh, Laura <laughs> four, four little Leica lenses yeah um, 
I mean, I would never charge for it. But if somebody, if a friend was getting married or something, and they, you know, actually, I'm going to a wedding in February mm. as a guest. Obviously, would you? Yeah, as a guest. You use that? No, you yeah. wouldn't. You uh, couldn't. Well, they haven't invited me yet, but yeah. I will go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know these people? Uh, <laughs> loosely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I reckon it's possible. It wasn't it. Jeff Askoff always used to say that he wants to shoot uh, a wedding on his phone as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would never be something you, I would do commercially or sell or anything, but yeah, I think realistically you could do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, we've got one uh, more uh, subject here, then it's the, the close of the show. I just wondered if uh, we had any more questions, anybody wanted to ask any more questions from the floor, as it were, before we go to something that I wanted to bring, for, bring in from Rivki Lokya. Uh, no? Oh, we got one from Nick. Nick. Nick, oh God. let's fire over to Nick. Um, I never do weddings. I've done two family ones, I think. So yeah. I'm, I'm a street photographer. But I'm curious, because most weddings are kind of the same format. So how, as a wedding photographer, do you avoid the sort of cliches and, and tropes of wedding photography to make your work, you know, different, unique, make it stand out? Yeah, I mean, they do have the same... Uh, you're right. Essentially, it's the same format, isn't it? Whenever you go to a to a wedding I mean we, we Valium like, it's Valium to Valium yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, just one in the morning gets you through it I mean wedding, wedding, weddings are made by people aren't they and, and you rock up sometimes the wedding photographers in the room here you rock up to a wedding and, and people are, are sitting there drinking tea how, how do you cope with that and, and make something of it that they um, uh, that, that they feel will emulate the work that they've seen on your website and the reason why they're they're hiring you if, if uh, I mean I know myself I fill my website full of people crying and um, it emotion it's emotional stuff because for me um, my wife has this this I'm sorry if anybody's listening who's a client of mine and um, uh, yeah but she always says when we have when we have just stop listening now good um, when we have the the client meetings at um, uh, at, at the office um, my wife will always say when they when they come when I come back down to the house she'll say did they cry and um, we have the phrase if they cry they buy um, and, and it's and it's essentially it's true because you're you're having a me and normally in a meeting um, you're you're trying to pull their emotional heartstrings um, because that's the way that they're going to that's the reason Stop they're doing going, that they're going, well no, oh, sorry. with your hand <laughs> It's a heart stream. <laughs> You're terrible. Um, it's a good job this is not on YouTube. <laughs> um, but uh, I've completely forgotten where I was now. Um, but, but but that that's and, and that's the pro I think Nick. That's a big problem when when you know the format of a wedding is expecting the high emotion and it doesn't necessarily um, deliver. So then you just have to be factual, don't you? You just have to show them what that day looked like. I think that's why it works, uh, you know, for, um, I mean, a vast majority of people shoot as documentary wedding photographers. Um, but for me, if I had to do any kind of, uh, the, the, the formality of the, for, of the traditional wedding, I just would never do it. I couldn't do it. No. So for me, everyone, I mean, of course we do a little bit of it, but the, you know, the, the, the formal photographers who set things up, including things like cake cutting and all that kind of stuff, week in week out then that just definitely isn't a job for me i see every wedding as a completely different yeah. uh, experience and it's very much like street photography but it's in an enclosed space and you know there are certain things that you know are going to happen like the first kiss and stuff but you can still approach it in a very in a completely candid way yeah uh, that's the only way that i get i can i can get through it and do it and, and enjoy it does anybody have a, a, a last couple of questions before we i don't do street photography but i agree with kevin i think um in a, a wedding is like a kind of it's, it's similar to street photography in a way i mean you just get all they are all the same weddings and yet they're all completely different and it's the people that make them different and it's all the things that go on around the edges i mean i i'm going to be honest i absolutely would I, I don't think i've got the confidence to say to a client i'm not going to do your groups and but I yeah. absolutely always try to get them to not um, uh, have the those cheesy uh, cake cutting shots. Uh, I say I just want to be in the background when you're signing the register, and and literally have very very few moments like that. But all the rest of it is really um, about um, it's just 
I think it's the best job. It is in the end the best job because you can be just so creative. You've got all life there. You've got young, you've got old, you've got tears, you've got arguments, yeah. you've got tension, yeah. you've got beauty, you've got ritual. You know, what's not to like, really? Absolutely. Glasgow Lee. Yeah, I just want to say I'm sort of polar opposite to Kevin and this lady. Um, to me, the wedding's about me. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, <laughs> couple. and so... <laughs> It's really kind of group shots. I see it as, a, as an audience to, um, uh, yeah, I see it as an audience. And um, to me, when you, <laughs> I was saying to a, a family the other day, as you walked in, you know what the day's going to be like with how you're greeted. Yeah. Like if you're greeted with open arms, you think this is going to be a cool wedding. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, um, the reply to his question is, I think weddings have a heartbeat, they have a rhythm, don't they? They and do. And part of our job is knowing what's happening in five minutes' time. Um, and there's certain bits where you know, like when they come out of the church, you know that's going to be uh, a grip and grin, shot as Kevin calls it. But sometimes the, the church police will get them to go out another door, and I'm thinking, we've well, just, you know, I think. I church think you police? Have, church police. What churches do you go to? Church police. Do you mean the verger? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think a, a wedding needs <laughs> a wedding needs to flow, and it's a bit like street photography, is that they look for certain things, whether it be reflections or that sharp light um, I think in weddings we look for those emotional moments that happen at key times mm. okay um, I wanted to uh, bring in Rivki uh, Lockyer uh, most people are on the Facebook group here aren't they I, I would imagine did you see that thing from Rivki Lockyer who is from the States who was saying you know after 17 years as an executive at a corporation I was successful and enjoyed my job worked very hard recently had the opportunity to take a seven-month sabbatical and she she tried professional photography and it went really really well did do you remember this this um, this post from her yep I ended up getting into some pro work I also really developed my skills in a way that I was never able to do when it was just a side thing my sabbatical came to an end and I'm back to my corporate job I do love my job and I'm fortunate to be able to provide for my family so comfortably so we can enjoy life and set money aside but I feel very very sad to have left the pro photography work behind presumably she's on a decent wage and so yeah well she's sending her, her children to and she didn't mind us saying this to, to private school in America which is not cheap yeah and and well, I'm sure there are some photographers who are sending their kids to private school yeah um, but yeah the chances are it will be and you know what I always say to people is you know don't just dump your day job and and go straight into being a full-time photographer you know you need to understand the business elements of it you need to run you know you need to look at the income and the profits that's coming through the business through the um, photography element of your life and treat it as a business separate entity to your personal life you know so many people will just do photography on the side and that income just falls into their general bank account or their general disposable income and they don't they don't understand the actual business element of things and so whilst they might think oh yeah i'm gonna get uh i don't know let's just say a thousand pound for a wedding if i do two of them a month that's two thousand pound right mm. um no it's not of course it's not it's a lot less than that and you know two thousand pounds seems like a reasonable amount of money to have a month but actually it's not a reasonable amount of money to live off when that's your, your you know your your income stream so you know there's a there's a hell of a lot more to it than just you know the the seeing of the the, the, the beauty of photography um, is it's ten percent taking pictures, ninety percent doing all of the other stuff. Who's recently left um, jobs here? Has anybody left a job here to take on photography full time? Anybody recently here done that? No. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, the, let's let's get that mic to, to the so you can sort of share your experience of making that transition. Essentially, I, you know. I don't know whether I should say lucky or not, but I got made redundant. So I had a financial cushion that allowed me to ramp up my photography as a business without feeling the pain of a, a significant drop in actual um, income. And I had to cut my cloth accordingly. I've had to make some change, changes to my spending habits because they're different now. And Financially, I, I mean, I love what I do, and it's like from a creative point of view, I'm a lot happier than I ever was doing a corporate job. Um, and I don't miss, you know, emails at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, and being on the phone at, at midnight talking to people in Australia to yeah. deal with IT related issues. Yeah. Um, but you do miss the fight, and there's no way of getting around it unless you are incredibly lucky 
you, you, do, you will have to make a financial adjustment. Anybody here want to go the other way, though? The photographers now are thinking about going back. I know you are, Kev, uh, about thinking about going back into uh, to, to, to the corporate world. Anybody here? Lee again? Glasgow, Glasgow Lee. Glasgow Lee. Yeah, I would. I think um, I, I sent a message to you a few months ago that's never been read out. But um, oh, So we, we have a filter for your question. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I feel like I've lost my hobby because I, you know, like today I've got no interest in taking pictures. I'm just like burnt out, and uh, and I'd like to get that back. And uh, yeah, um, I don't think I ever could because I think I'm unemployable now. But um, <laughs> um, but I would, you know, if um, yeah, there's some charity out there. So, Lee, Lee, how many weddings did you shoot last year? Fifty-five last year. Yeah. Stunned silence on that one. Yeah. Right. Um, we're we're, we're going to wrap in a second. Laura, would you mind just coming round and joining someone on, on, on Laura, the mic? Laura. 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 Uh, well, yeah. Okay. So, Laura, um, welcome to the couch. <laughs> um, uh, well, no. The only reason I was I was going to get Laura up was to see if anybody had any questions for her. Get nice and close <laughs> to that microphone, though. Sorry. That's it. Because then so we'll be able to hear you. You can't ask her any technical questions. You can't answer ask her any questions about cameras in the future. <laughs> Um, you, you, um, you can ask her anything else. Okay. Any questions about Fuji? We've got lots of Fuji film users in here. Come on, we must have some questions about Fuji. Right over here, straight away. Uh, what would you say is sort of the brand personality of Fuji film versus the other sort of big camera manufacturers? What makes Fuji Fuji? Excellent question. Definitely a family vibe. We are all about photography. We're about photographers and about the art form. So I think what makes our cameras different is that they are designed for people that want to shoot pure photography and just get on with that. So for me, that's the, the key thing. Um, it's the best company I've ever worked for, and I'm not saying that because I work here. But Genuinely, you're, you're only is. about 19. So <laughs> <laughs> you probably you worked in a shop I've, and then I've worked, worked for a good few companies, honestly, and it's absolutely lovely. The people make it; they are the best, um, and also just the customers as well. Everyone's so lovely, and there's a real community vibe. So that's what does it for me. Why do you think the personality of Fujifilm as, as, as a as a camera brand is different? Why? why? That's a good question. I'm not sure, to be honest, but once you start, I guess, shooting on the gear or you meet the people that work on the team, there's just a vibe, there's an atmosphere there, which is so different, which is just lovely. Um, and for me, it was like stepping into a family when I started working here yeah. and also just meeting some of the best people I've ever met so yeah it's fantastic did you shoot Fuji before you joined Fuji is, I that, did. is that an unfair question no it's not so I, I shot Canon for 10 years right. uh, DSLR and I had Sony was my first mirrorless um, I had an X20 a Fujifilm X20 that was my first Fujifilm camera and then I had sort of Leica and dabbled in a few other things and then I had the X100F that was my gateway drug mm. And then when I started working here and I got to use the cameras, I completely got sold on it. I hopped in everything else. I bought myself an X-T3. I've got my X-E3, which lives on me. Yeah. I'm a one camera, one lens kind of girl. So mm -hmm. I've got my X-E3 with my 35 F2. That's what I shoot 99% of my photography on because okay. it fits in my bag and it's always on me. And I could never do that with a DSLR. No. So yeah, I'm very much a believer in it's the camera you have on you and for me, Fujifilm became the camera I could always have on me. So, any other questions, uh, dear Steve? Well, it's more of a comment really than a question. But I think people don't realise actually what a big company Fujifilm is. Uh, they they view Fujifilm as a, a smaller imaging company, but Fujifilm is a massive chemical company. Mm -hmm. It's a life science company. It's a cosmetics company. Yep. Uh, in my yeah. old job of selling scientific equipment, I used to sell a lot to Fujifilm, and it's a big, big company. Mm -hmm. It's as big as the Canons and Nikon's, if not bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So people Absolutely. people sometimes forget how big a company it is. So the fact that you've managed to keep that sort of vibe of a bit more than a hobby, almost like a club, mm -hmm. it, it's fantastic how you've you've managed yeah. to do that, and please keep it going forever. Thank you. No, Single-handedly. It's, <laughs> it's all down to you. It, yeah. is, it is very interesting. We've got a medical division yeah. and we've got graphics. We've got all sorts of stuff. We do have cosmetics, as Kev mentioned. But um, what's interesting to me is how it all feeds back into it. So there's chemicals that go into the cosmetics that they've discovered from developing film. 
so there's some really cool kind of interesting things but yeah we've got like massive x-ray machines that we sell to the NHS it's it's crazy but yeah no it's it's a great company and very diverse have you thought about Kev maybe being an ambassador for the for the cosmetic brand oh, definitely he's doing some modeling for, for us at the weekend <laughs> yeah I think you'd be good uh, any more questions Warning, warning. Oh, it's somebody said the B word. Somebody, somebody said, said the B word. No, no, no. I, I think that's that, seems, that, that seems like a good time to wrap this show up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had enough of Brexit last week on the show. Sorry, Anna's got a question. As long as it's not Brexit. Not, not Brexit, absolutely not Brexit. But if you had to say, say, five, three reasons why... I would go with a Fuji mirrorless camera as opposed to a Sony, a Nikon, mm. or anyone or anything else. Could you could you tell me maybe more on the camera basis rather than I'm sure you're a lovely family and Nikon's say the same. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not the most technical person, so bear with me. But the reason that I love the cameras and they work best for me is because the ergonomics are completely manual which makes it really fast to shoot with, mm. um, fantastically easy to get to, get to grips with. And once you kind of have a feel for the camera, it almost becomes like muscle memory. So nothing's really in the menu. It's more on the body. So you can move the shutter without, you know, move the shutter speed, sorry, without like taking your eye away from the viewfinder, which is fantastic. Um, and then lastly, I have to say, it, the family vibe is part of it. The customer service is fantastic. Um, we have a field team that are out there in stores all the time running events. Um, and the support is just amazing. So that's what I would say, really, are my top three reasons. The um, repair and everything is top notch. It's yeah. like a 24-hour turnaround for repairs. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right, that's uh, we've come to the end end of the show. I'd like to thank Sean uh, for being a sort of a, a, a cameo guest. Uh, and Nick Turpin as well um, so Sean Tucker Nick Turpin I'd like to thank Laura as well obviously you know now if you're listening to the podcast who to write to with a horn <laughs> no that's not fair we shouldn't do that so thank you very much everybody thank you And that's it from our listener meetup in Brighton with a day ahead of chatting and meandering through the modern city's famous lanes to stop and sample some of Brighton beers, you can see what they did here, home brews like Chocky Wocky Brew Heart and 431. Our thanks this week to a bunch of super folk who've made this one so much fun and possible. Neil and Remy in the Palm Court restaurant on Brighton's Palace Pier for the space to record the show. Nick Turpin, Sean Tucker and Laura Ross for their guesting cameos. Steve Vaughan for additional production support and everyone who came along to just socialise. The main theme is by Blue Wednesday with additional music from the amazing Artlist Music Catalogue. Next week we're back in the studio digging in for the winter that lies ahead and our guest is from Canada, Brian Caparici from Sprout Studio talking about the business of photography as we head into a new decade. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way. 